0: Welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Someru. Hey, everybody! This week I am joined by Melinda Reese. She has successfully transitioned an NHS senior-level, twenty-year clinical career as a pioneering consultant clinical psychologist into a series of strategic and operational leadership positions in the international and independent healthcare sectors, always serving the statutory healthcare market. She's recently joined Psyomics, which is her fourth startup in healthcare, and she is confident that the company has a great product that will help solve the biggest problem facing all healthcare providers. The growing demand for clinical treatment against the inadequate supply of clinicians. A problem that we talk about on this podcast a great deal. Uh, mm. Obviously not a problem just in the UK and the Western world, but also a global challenge and requires a heck of what's described here as a leapfrog solution. Um, Melinda, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Long overdue, I think. Um, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing very well. Thank you, David. It's great to meet you too.
0: Yeah, really looking forward to getting into it. Um, whereabouts are you speaking to us from today, Belinda? Where are you based?
1: Oh, well, I'm in a secret location, actually, where, no, <laughs> where, nobody, <laughs> nobody, <laughs> where nobody can knock on the door quite deliberately. Uh, so um, I'm somewhere between London and Cambridge. I live in London Excellent. and my current office is in Cambridge and uh, I thought it would be good uh, to, to hide myself somewhere in the middle on the way <laughs> to the office. That's That's good for you
0: good for you a place where nobody can give us any uh podcast interruptions which makes our editing yeah, job exactly. a bit easier so thank you for that <laughs> much yeah, appreciated exactly. cool melinda as i say it's an absolute pleasure to have you on your your journey is a really interesting one uh, as i said in that introduction you know all the senior leadership positions that you've got you've served various areas of healthcare. you've got a real interest in that behavior change piece being a psychologist that we were just talking about um mm-hmm. so yeah it it, it It's going to be an interesting discussion, this, and obviously your fourth startup now in healthcare. And so, again, Mm -hmm. a heck of a journey that is into, you know, tech and innovation and and what you're doing in mental health now. So, yeah, super excited. So, um, yeah, do us the honour of uh, telling us a bit of your story.
1: (laughs) So, uh, as I said to you just before we started recording, I feel quite old now. So, um, starting right back at the beginning might be a little tedious, if I just make a sort of general statement about uh, the person I seem to be growing up, um, which my my mum often reflects on, I was always uh, very energetic, uh, somewhat annoying, apparently, um, and uh, quite a self-starter. So if I found something I wanted to do, I would just get on and do it. So I started work very early in life. I uh, walked into what was a very uh, well-known French bakery in Oxford, where I grew up uh, at the age of 13, 14, and asked for a job in French. And uh, oh, I think nice. that was quite bold, actually. Very bold, <laughs> Looking very back, bold. I'm not sure I would do that now. Um, and I remember the well-known French chef, uh, who, who's uh, still around and had lots of cookbooks, coming out of the back of the... The bakery and saying to me in French, if you take that thing out of your nose, I will give you a job. And i wow. I had a pierced nose, which in those days was quite radical. So um, <laughs> I obeyed. <laughs> I obeyed the rules and got the job. And nice. uh a, conform, I guess, a
0: conformist or a nonconformist turned conformist, I suppose.
1: Well, uh, yeah, I'm I'm not radically rebellious, but there is a streak of it in me. Yeah, a safe Excellent. streak, hopefully.
0: As most innovators, I would say.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then I guess through the journey, a tricky journey I had in adolescence, actually, um, I became interested in uh, human behaviour and and how people think and studied psychology as an undergraduate um, after a couple of false, false starts. So actually, I thought I was going to become a theatre costume designer um, and applied for an art foundation course. Um, after being told at school that I was never going to be a successful academic, and I guess they were right actually, I haven't chosen the academic path particularly. Mm-hmm. Although I seem to have far too many postgraduate degrees, but maybe I'm making up for being told I couldn't at school. <laughs> <laughs> another, another bit of rebellion there, um, but yes, um, between the Art foundation course and uh, and psychology, um, I happen to travel walk a lot of it actually from the north coast of africa to the west coast through central africa and on to east africa over a number of months um yes it was i had hardly ever been abroad before um so this was another one of those uh moments where i decided i was going to do something and went and did it that's very naively i have to say um but i had the most amazing bunch of experiences and. um came across things I'd never I never knew about I didn't know existed and um in particular remember walking south through the Sahara um and coming across refugee camps and appalling poverty and deprivation and people trying to move country because they couldn't exist where they were also I got very very unwell um and had a, mm. a near-death moment I had to, had to come back to the UK um but it was radical. I was young, impressionable, and um, decided that I couldn't be a theater costume designer um, because some people didn't even have clothes. So how could I possibly be so ridiculous? And I ended up wearing flower sack cloth clothes for a month, a few months after coming back to the UK. It's getting into human rights. I did mm-hmm. some voluntary work for Amnesty International and just thought how can i get into this world what are my strengths what am i good at what's the in? and decided to go for a psychology degree uh, because people told me i was very good at listening so um mm. i thought i thought maybe maybe this is the thing it was fascinating and i managed to wangle a third year uh funded research project back in one of the countries i'd been to in nigeria So I went back to Nigeria um, several times and looked at the synthesis of uh, the way people thought about mental illness in Nigeria. So the religious beliefs people had, which were quite extreme, some of the local stories people told each other about mental illness, which were very extreme, Um, and then Western medicine and how those things combined together, um, and how they the way people were viewing mental health and mental illness in Nigeria was changing. Um, and I was part of setting up uh, a project that still exists in Nigeria, which is called Amudo, A-M-A-U-D-O, which means Village of Peace. Um, and it's a, it's a brilliant project uh, where people who, who may have been killed before for being mentally ill can come and live and rehabilitate and be repatriated to their families. And again, that was a phenomenal experience Mm. living, living in that project, living alongside people, building things together um, and pretty life changing. And I came back to the UK. My father had been uh, diagnosed with um, a degenerative neurological condition, Parkinson's Mm. disease. I came back, Um, to touch base and be with my family and support Um, and what what shall I do whilst I'm here Um, back again um, I'll do some research so I got an amazing job for nearly two years with um, a renowned research unit funded by the Medical Research Council I work with some incredible leaders in in mental health thinking uh, George Brown and Tyrrell Harris um, and again, another really important experience where I learned about what, what they called um, a stress diathesis model of mental illness. Um, and I was lucky to interview lots and lots and lots of women in the research as participants. And um, that, was really, that really is the foundation for the way I think about um, our vulnerabilities and our propensity to mental illness as humans
0: it's relatable in in a lot of i think the 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 traveling component you know people kind of i don't know it's almost like satirical isn't it or the way people talk about finding yourself um when you're traveling and that kind of self-awareness piece but i think it is an important Mm. one that you mentioned that you were young and impressionable but clearly clearly in search of or at least open to a greater sense of meaning and i think that That is a theme of health tech founders. You know, I've interviewed, what, Mm. 200 of them odd on here. Wow. And I think there Mm. is that. And I think that there is this commonality for people that they're searching for something that is greater than themselves and you see that a lot in clinicians right Mm. all the time because Mm. as clinicians you have to transcend your own wants and desires and needs to just Mm. fulfill the a and e rotor (laughs) like Mm -hmm. goodness knows there are other things you want to be doing a lot of times you're called in for a shift and you know you have to transcend that and so it is a i guess it is a common thing of healthcare too that at the end of the day people are looking for this greater sense of meaning and they often find that in the tech companies Mm. that they go and found um and it seems like you had this huge ability for self-awareness as well and definitely psychology seems like something that you were kind of destined for with your ability to do that at, at, at a young age mm. but um I think yeah the, the that self-awareness piece obviously becomes incredibly relevant to then finding a good career for you and and that's true yeah. of anybody that's able to analyze what they're good at what they like where they find that meaning and greater sense of purpose mm. and I think the, the the combination of all that stuff together is incredibly important. Um, you know, I'm speaking to a lot of people at the moment that are having these kind of uh, be that identity crisis of wanting to leave medicine and not knowing where that leaves them, or wanting mm. to do something bigger or greater, or simply just you know coming to this realization that this workforce crisis that we have, the conditions in which they are working just don't that if they aren't. They aren't able to sustain that. And where does that leave them? Where does that leave them with their yeah. sense of wanting to do something good and meaningful if they can't hack yeah. the conditions that they're in, for want of a better phrase? And, and goodness knows they shouldn't be expected to, in my opinion, with the way mm. that it's got. And mm. so there's no need to judge yourself in that scenario. But no, I do. I, it's, yeah. it, it's that seems to be a theme at the moment, that self-awareness, the search for meaning. And then that, that's obviously continued later down in your career. So what happened next?
1: Well um I was one year also into a medical anthropology master's at uh, SOAS um, you do so like learning to... as well I'm noticing <laughs> I, do, I do I I get bored if I'm not learning something so I, I looked at every moment to learn something um uh, it, it, and I'm learning about you right now and I'm I'm finding that fascinating so there's a whole mm. other part of my brain running right now as well I'm <laughs> sure I'm, I'm sure most people are like that So, one year into this uh, medical anthropology uh, master's at SOAS, which was fascinating and extremely well taught, but it didn't feel real to me. So, I applied, as in. Can I ask a really stupid
0: question? What Mm. actually is anthropology?
1: God, I don't know. I never got to the end of the (laughs) course. (laughs)
0: It's one of those things that I'd love Um, to be able to drop into conversation. (laughs) Like, I've got no idea what it actually means.
1: Yeah, I mean, we we looked at all sorts of things like history of art and the way uh, the history of medicine, the history of um, Mm -hmm. illness, you know, it was was quite historically based and there was a lot of philosophy in it and I'm not opposed to those things, but I'm a doer. So um, Mm -hmm. I applied for clinical psychology training and I was delighted uh, to get on a course. Um, The course I went on for three years, uh, and you probably know it's an applied doctoral degree, um, was very uh, sort of left-wing, social constructionist. Mm. We talked a lot about how language creates reality. And so um, I had a fantastic three years. You do six clinical placements. It's probably not unlike the training you've had, James. Um, where you get completely thrown in the deep end, and you have to you have to make it work. So, you know, day, week two you're with with patients, being a psychologist, obviously with supervision, mm. um, and so on. But, but you really are right in there, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it, and specialised um, uh, in trauma through the course of the three years, um, and again managed to wrangle a thesis that included my favourite topics uh, around um, how we present differently in different cultures, but also uh, I became very interested in attachment and attachment theory, the way that people make and maintain relationships and all the factors that feed into our um, personal ability to do that And, and the huge impact that has on the rest of our lives, everything we do, everything every relationship we're in how do we turn up in relationships and what do we need to feel safe um, so um that was my clinical psychology training um and I went. oh I I um became pregnant in the final year um and uh, that that was not planned very much loved but not planned um and I remember the head of the course saying Gosh, I don't think we know what to do with a pregnant trainee. I'm not sure we've had one before. So (laughs) I had to argue for maternity pay and things like that. So I guess another pioneering moment accidentally. Mm. um, Finished their course, um, uh, had a baby, got married, bought a house, took, um, I think, I think I had a year. Um, with my first son Jamie, um, very important for attachment, I decided to take the year and then uh, started two roles. One um, in the NHS in primary care in East London, um, working in a new model of primary mental health care uh, as a psychologist in a GP setup, but it was
0: thorough based.
1: Yeah. And our job was to work with all the patients nobody else wanted to see in the area. So Hmm. people with complex mental illness presentations, Hmm. people with addictions and refugees and asylum seekers. So it was right up my street. Really loved it. Um, And then I also took a role with uh, what was called at the time the Medical Foundation for the Care of Victims of Torture. Um it's a bit of a mouthful, it's now called Freedom from Torture, and I took a role there as a jobbing clinical psychologist seeing um uh, as many people um as we could uh, a day. And I, I did them both, I think one was three days a week in the NHS and the other was one day a week um in the charity. Um and I continued those two roles for three years in combination and then took another maternity leave. Had my second <laughs> son, uh, and then went back after a year. He got a year too, um, and then I uh, continued those roles. And as you can imagine, they were growing. So the yeah. service in the NHS became bigger, and we expanded, and I, you know, recruited more people, and we won awards. Actually, it was a very interesting time, um, and and then I took another maternity leave. My <laughs> third son, Daniel. Um, so that that 10 years between the age of 30 and 40, I look back on as my sort of b- building my competence as a clinician and a mother, um, and having that um, real opportunity to combine both of those things um, and, c- and continue to innovate and follow my passion of you know working with people nobody else wants to work with and the the work that I did with refugees and asylum seekers was profound, absolutely mm. profound and yeah. really purposeful, and really important to me um, and emotionally very, very challenging as well.
0: Mm. but there's again meaning in that challenge I, what's interesting yes. to me here is you talked about language forming reality, right and Mm. what I like and find interesting in the way that you told your story thus far and we'll get onto the health tech in a second but the the way you talk about c- building your career as a clinician and building your um well you said it, attachment to your children and the very definitive mm. very deliberate maternity leaves as well and then I took mm. maternity leave and you mentioned it three times very deliberately mm. and you weren't what you weren't doing there, and this isn't health tech, by the way, for the health tech podcast, but I do find this interesting, <laughs> that what you didn't do was just say, oh, and I had three kids at some point. You've actually very mm. deliberately said you've done those things. And I think that's important. I think that's important in, yeah. you know, it, I mean, exactly what you said about language creating a reality. And I think we're we're, we're we're getting to a point now, I think, and it's getting better the way that we're able to... Um, create these realities through language where th- that is not just considered an okay thing to do that's actually mm. considered a very worthwhile and noble thing to have done because there's an element yeah. of sacrifice there with career but for the yeah. value of something else that you wanted in your life and the question at the beginning was mm. for you to tell your story and I like the fact that that is very much part of it and, you know, mm. getting to an age now where Jess and I are thinking about starting a family and things like that, you know, and we talked about how we want a parent and what we want for our lives. And we want those things to interact together and be part of our life as a whole. And that does feed in and our yeah. wants and needs as parents will feed into that. And I think that and what we want for ourselves in that scenario and and how that does interact with career. Mm. And I think we are getting better in the world at talking about these things in parallel. And I think that's yeah. really nice and not that I want to lean too much into that in this um, before people turn away to a different podcast, but um, I, I do think that's interesting. I I I do like yeah. that. But really, that like I think I could talk about this for a while, actually, which I'm not going to. I'll get you back. To, on my, maybe I'll start another <laughs> podcast where we talk about this. But language, form, and reality—I've got a lot of yeah. a lot of thoughts on which I really like. But also, you mentioned the word purposeful as well, and mm-hmm. with, with regard to the, the refugee work and 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 mm. uh, freedom from torture and things like that, I think. Yeah, many, many, many health tech founders on here are impact-driven and Mm. and I talk about that all the time and it's it's clear to see how you've ended up in the space that you have done. So let's talk about Mm. some health tech. Let's talk about the health tech part of your journey.
1: Yeah. Well, let me just do a connector bit for you. So language forming Mm. reality. Towards the end of that 10 years, I um, went and did a master's in cognitive behavioral therapy. The whole foundation of CBT is that language changes our reality mm. so the way that we talk and think and frame our problems and solutions
0: what a lovely segue lib-
1: liberates our thinking so when did the CBT thing um was lucky enough to move into a fantastic new role leading IAP services in North London yep. so that you know, everybody knows what an IAP service is, I think, but it's where you go to get help uh, if you're depressed and anxious as an adult. Um, and it's now prevalent across the country as a, a format of provision. Um, and something happened in those five years that really accelerated my need to to change the way we deliver services, which leads into the health tech piece. So um So there was a life event. My father died and uh, died. His long, slow death was really appallingly handled. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was very frustrated, upset, and I didn't want that to happen to anybody else. And I looked at the clinical systems around him and thought, they're not joined up. These, These brilliant clinicians can't do any better because they don't have the tools. And It was frustrating for them and frustrating for us. And, Um, it really really left a kind of question mark for me about how could we do this better um, uh, in all areas of health. Alongside that, leading an IAP service, IAP services are all about throughput. How can we treat more people faster? And the numbers of people growing, presenting with um, mental health challenges all, all the time, it's just growing, growing, growing. And the pressure on services to do more Better and faster was my everyday. You know, I Mm. was constantly looking for innovation um, to help us. And I did work with some um, electronic patient record providers that were very keen to innovate. And we did um, manage to set up some new stuff together, like a portal for patients to sign into to to monitor their own clinical outcomes. But it wasn't enough. Um, uh, for me, I wasn't satisfied with the pace of change that I thought should be possible. Um, I went on a, a leadership course for nine months, which had a business uh, element side to it. Um, and it had an experiential side to it. But it, uh, through the course of doing that for nine months, I I guess I gave myself permission to try harder uh, and be braver and more courageous. and take a step that I never knew I was going to take wasn't in the plan so I stepped outside of the NHS um, at the age of 45 um, terrified because you know you've been in the institution for so long you know 20 25 years yeah and you you don't know anybody else who's doing it and uh, you think you might have gone mad and you know but your purpose your heart you're kind of Energy is telling you to, to to take a take a risk. And um, uh, I'm lucky enough to I'm married to a psychologist. He's got a very sort of solid, stable career. So we had we had a cornerstone and then I could um, mm-hmm. experiment, I guess. Um, and I was seduced. I always say this out of the NHS Same. by a, a wonderful uh, woman uh, who's a psychiatrist called Emma and joined her merry band. And we set out to, uh, very ambitiously, um, try and do things differently um, from the outside in, and it was liberating, absolutely liberating. Uh, and my, I found my home. You know, I, I loved, loved it. I loved the fact that you get up in the morning and you think, God, oh, we're gonna, we've got this crazy idea, yeah. but we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. And I do believe. If you figure things out with the right people around you to support you collaboratively and you're determined you might just be successful often you are um, uh, and you can create your own success like that um, and and so we did so we built uh things uh, for children's services in birmingham that were surrounding the actual clinical delivery but allowing access to increase exponentially Um, And allowing clinicians to have much more information about what they were doing, intelligent information about what they were doing so that they could manage the throughput of patients in a way that optimised for access and good clinical outcomes um, and and empowered the clinicians. Um, We borrowed ideas from the US healthcare system and translated them into the UK healthcare system and uh, and we actually sold them to the NHS, not for profit. I have wow. to say, um, there aren't many healthcare health tech companies that actually make a lot of profit in mental health, uh, <laughs> co- contrary to probably what people think. Um, but it, it wasn't it wasn't about that for me. It was it wasn't about the profit. I probably wouldn't have done it if I thought we were going to make money because it was the first time I'd done mm. it. I, I didn't particularly like the idea of making mm. money off the NHS, but um, but. What was so exciting was actually making change happen, um, mm. and and being part of leading that. Um, it's funny because you can hear once... that in
0: your voice actually. Like a lot of people say that, um, but you can you can because I, I was actually going to say it to you that actually did the money matter? That was going to be my next question because you've no. already answered it. Actually, like it it, it, it it's funny because you can hear the and i know that excitement i know that excitement mm. from doing little projects and just seeing mm. this little thing change and suddenly mm. someone doesn't have to do something that they didn't want to do previously and and that yeah. skip is that that step is skipped out and and you see yeah. that and the new you know people that come into it might not even know that that old step even existed and so you know people exactly. adjust very quickly to the new setup which is yes. somewhat frustrating however it's still incredibly <laughs> rewarding and actually you get bitten by that bug yeah. don't you and and then you, the, you, you want that impact to be more and you want that impact to be larger and you see the next thing that you yep. can do the next thing the next thing so yep. that's yeah you can hear it in your voice yep. that's genuine it's real
1: it's real and it's uh it comes from that whole cbt place of so, yeah you know we we do things for all sorts of peculiar reasons humans have peculiar habits systems have peculiar habits and the amazing thing about health tech is it potentially provides the logical path through through a problem through a health presentation problem or a service delivery problem Uh, and Mm -hmm. when when you look at the kind of analytical when you listen to the clinicians and hear why do you do this why do you do that and then you provide a potentially logical path the the dissonance that the system experiences trying to adjust to the better position is is fascinating to watch um Mm -hmm. you know and you just so many times in my daily um and life i want to say but that's not logical uh and then i remember Mm. i'm a a psychologist and i'm supposed to be compassionate and understanding (laughs) you know so the tension is within me it's in the system uh and i think health tech has a great opportunity to unlock uh, the dissonant position people find themselves in when they're trying to provide good health care
0: it does and You're in a perfect position to answer my next question here, which is when I was earlier on in my quality improvement journey as a young Mm -hmm. clinician, an early on clinician, and I had an incredibly, incredibly logical idea, incredibly logical on paper, Mm. and I would try to execute it, it wouldn't work because the problem with logic is it doesn't account for illogical human beings and right. their frankly outrageous behavior that dare get in the way of my completely logical solution uh, like because totally human beings will find all sort of incredibly <laughs> inv- it, like imaginative ways to mess up my on paper platform or yes. way of doing things or system or or you know flow diagram yeah. or whatever it is right humans get yeah. in the way because they are wonderful and complex and incredibly yeah. weird so it comes down to a lot of human factors and behavior change right ultimately um, because you can have the perfect pathway as well by the way and people just don't like it or want it or it just requires a bit of extra effort to learn it or whatever it is that so much of the challenge becomes behavior change and so with what you're doing now with Psionics, or or, or be that you know things that you've learned along your journey how does that Mm. behavior change piece fit in from your perspective as as a psychologist
1: Oh, it's absolutely front and foremost what I think about, actually. And that is one of the advantages of my um, professional training.
0: That's interesting. So it comes first. It comes first in in that development of solution.
1: Yeah. If we're working with humans, we have to account for them. And they are so much more powerful than anything else, right? So um, uh, because look at what they do when they get into powerful positions. Humans behave appallingly sometimes. We do we we do outrageous yep. things and today and still yep. and in the news, it's everywhere all all the time. We're we're really inclined to poor behavior. Um mm. so um I think you have to put the human in the system first. What do they really want? What do they really want? And uh, you know, I don't want to make very stereotypical statements, but clinicians on the whole want to help people get better that's why they started out in the first place hardly any of them are psychopaths right so they really really want to do the right thing and they might have lost that connection along the way because life's tough and lots of things get in the way but you can reconnect them with that you can and I think so product development is a wonderful example of um Finding what your customer needs. And our customer at Psyomics is is healthcare providers um, and patients, but healthcare providers. um, We're trying to help them deliver better healthcare. Um, So we have to listen to them. We have to understand what they need, what they will and won't do, what they think they can do, what they think they can't do. And, And that's where we start to try and shape the product. If you can shape the product, to fit with them, yes, Of course, you have to challenge them a little bit, but you know you have to work out what kind of uh, parameters for challenge you have available to you, um, given the people you're working with. And it's um, it's a really and, and a lot of talking is involved, right? And a lot of listening. So that that to me is one of the nuanced and sophisticated part, parts that we do that that we offer um, around landing a piece of technology to help uh, provide better healthcare. And that's that's Mm. been a theme for me all along. You you can't tell people what to do very often. You can't top down people. These are clever people. They've got their own ideas. Incorporate their ideas, collaborate. it's, It's essential for success, I think.
0: It's an incredible advantage, that knowledge. And I think not only to develop almost that design thinking early on to incorporate mm. that but actually you're not going to get frustrated uh, mm. like I think others would that perhaps you know when I put myself in that position just the frustration that I would feel mm. because I didn't have the framework to understand that ultimately human behavior was at the at the at the, at the, the center of it um mm. when i thought that logic would be at the center of it and all humans would just act accordingly and it's just not it, it just wasn't the case so i think you know the mm. lack of frustration actually the ability to build around it i think is incredibly um yeah incredibly valuable what advice would you give very practically now to those people that, mm. that don't have necessarily that that psycho well they don't have that psychology background they don't have that understanding of human mm. behavior but they have an idea in health tech, they have mm-hmm. an idea. Not even in health tech, actually, like just in mm. innovating healthcare, they just want mm. to make healthcare a little bit better. If mm. they don't have that human behavior, what what is that? Practically speaking, what's the best place to start? Is it just speaking to everybody to get more understanding? Yeah. Is it designing something first and showing it to them? Like, is, and how how do you get that data from humans as to what to actually do based on their behavior?
1: Um, Well, I do. I do go for talking. So I would um, if I had an idea that I thought might help, um, I would uh, be bold and courageous and go and talk to anybody, connect, network, find the people you need to talk to and listen to them. Because um, you might have your, your, you know, your beautiful darling idea. But if you come across somebody who says it's not going to work because you've got to listen to them. So, don't shut yourself off to the to the naysayers. Account for them because if mm. they're there now, they'll be there later, and they'll get in the way they're thinking, not them. their thinking will get in the way later that you have to figure it out around them. Um, and uh, I guess the other thing is I, we touched on this earlier. if you're going to start from trying to make money as a, as a starting point, you're you're not going to be successful. Nobody cares um like go for go for purpose go for purpose if you make money wonderful that will help you set up your next company and do your next best thing but go for purpose um and and people will connect with you and and if it's authentic people will connect with you um so i think it, you've really got to feel it and um i guess ideas come from our everyday experience we're all patients. We've we've all got family members right now and using healthcare services. How's it going? What's not working for them? What's not working for you? What what doesn't seem right? What? How could you solve that? Um, I I think that's the way I would start start with something. And no idea is too simple, right? So I think what we're doing at Cyomics is a relatively simple idea it's a, it's sophisticated in its delivery but the actual idea is relatively simple and brilliant and I'm amazed nobody else I'm not inviting competition but nobody else is doing it so um mm. you know sometimes just go for the obvious and don't assume somebody else has done it already
0: and a word on Siamix because obviously we can't let you go without talking about it the, the, all all of what mm. we've just talked about go forms the credibility that Siamix sits on really because obviously all of your uh, understandings learnings is now obviously at the helm of the leadership at Psyomics and so mm. what is Psyomics and what are you trying to do with Psyomics?
1: Yeah so I joined Psyomics recently we've got great great uh, great founding team and um, what we have is a product that helps clinicians um, make the right clinical decisions at assessment triage and along the course of care for the patient. So it really quarterbacks clinical thinking. It increases specificity around clinical pathways. You've got to get people on the right pathway first time. um, It opens up access um, and uh, it could, and already is doing, actually, we're working um, in the NHS already, um, radically increase the capacity of services to provide good mental health care to people and um, uh, I think it'll be one of many solutions that are adopted by the NHS over the next few years but there is no way at the moment the NHS has capacity to meet you know a hundredth of what's being presented to it so um, it's open to adopting ideas that make sense and we've got one Mm. and it works and I'm really proud of it Um, and I think it's got phenomenal opportunity ahead of it.
0: Mm. And what what level does it go in at? So who's purchasing this hmm. and who does it help?
1: So at the moment, we have it placed in secondary mental health services in one part of the country. Um, and we're just in negotiation. Well, I can't say with who, but I'm hmm. so excited about this. Um, to put it right at the front of primary care, we did a clinical trial Uh, a couple of years ago called the Delta Trial and the success of the product was enormous in primary care. At the time, the system couldn't pay for it, uh, but now we have integrated care systems and the system can pay for it. And it should sit right at the front of one's entry to mental health services um, and it will save enormous amounts of time for everybody, every part of the system. So I'm very excited. I'm hoping... um, our discussions continue to go well and we will continue to, but we always evaluate what we do. So, you know, no doubt we'll nuance and change things many times over, but we've already got something that's going to help.
0: Melinda, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for being so open in this conversation, particularly around your background and the work that you've done and, and everything that's fed into what you're now doing. It's a, it's a really, really interesting journey um so much about purpose so much about meaning so much about the the advantage of knowing and understanding human behavior from a psychological perspective to actually go into a health tech solution i think that's an incredible bit of learning actually um that i've had there so yeah thank you so much for for coming on it's it's been an absolute pleasure if people want to learn more about you or they want to learn more about what you're up to at Cialmix, what's the best way for them to find out or get in touch with you?
1: Um, Well, they're welcome to message me on LinkedIn. I think that's probably the easiest way and lots of people do. And I do keep up with correspondence. I'm a very sociable person. So um, I love hearing from people.
0: Melinda, thank you so much. We will, uh, I'm sure, speak very soon.
1: Thank you, James. It's been brilliant talking to you. Hey,
0: everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us, and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.